Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and thank you so much for joining us for one of our talks today. Today, we are joined by the wonderful filmmaker Joe Wright to talk all about his latest film, Cyrano. And I wanted to start by talking a little bit about the genesis of this film for you, because Erica Schmidt, who wrote the screenplay, um, wrote and directed the stage version uh, prior to this. And even before that opened, uh, you, you attended one of the workshops for it. And it sounds like that was kind of the initial moment and spark where you started to think about a screen version for this. And so I was really fascinated and interested in at that stage, even what were some of those first sparks and first visual ideas and how you started to think about the scope and the aesthetic and how you potentially saw this coming to screen? Um, yeah, I, uh, Hayley Bennett invited me to a um, performance uh, of, a, of a workshop version up at the theater in Chester in Connecticut and um it seated like 120 people and um and it was quite a sort of rough workshop production um uh, minimal production but um i was immediately uh, taken with the uh brilliant idea of casting uh, peter dinklage in the role of cyrano and i was taken by uh the the, the the relationship between him and Haley, I thought there was extraordinary chemistry there, and it felt like a very fresh take on a on a classic story. Um, so uh, I, I I asked Haley for her permission to, um, uh, to 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 approach Pete and and Erica. I did so that night. They said yes, um, and so we started kind of developing uh, the film in parallel with the theatre production. Um, and uh and it was um yeah i kind of i i mean i i think the scope of the film uh was was something that possibly came later uh i think what first excited me was the uh the potential for us to get closer to pete and Haley and to really um uh get into their eyes and and feel the intimacy of those those performances i love that you're bringing it up and describing it in that way because there's so many beautiful moments with the framing as well where you really bring the camera in incredibly close to them and and especially a lot of intimate close-ups as we're transitioning into song and then there's a beautiful shot with the two of them where it's just two of their faces framed side by side towards the end of the movie um and with, was that something that early on with a lot of the camera choices that you knew that you really wanted to utilize close up in that way, because it, it also strikes that balance of never over utilizing it as a medium. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when people sort of uh, ask me what my favorite shot of any given film is. Um, I think they expect me to say some kind of sweeping, I don't know, um, uh, declamatory camera move. Um, uh, but actually, always the shot that most uh um moves me is is the human face is the close-up and 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 i love you know um uh seeing uh a face projected on a screen 20 feet high you know to kind of immortalize that face um uh i think is is a really uh wonderful aspect of the theatrical experience um the cinematic experience so so yeah closes close-ups uh are always um always at the forefront of my mind yeah 
And with the fact that it is a musical, that very first transition into song when Roxanne's in the carriage and that's the first moment that we break into the music in the film, that transition works so well, but it also feels like part of the reason it works so well is because there's a rhythm already happening within the film. That very first scene with Marie and Roxanne, there's a real flow and a real cadence to it. Um, and so how did you work to set up those first few scenes even leading up to the musical transition to make sure that it wasn't going to pull the audience out of the moment and that it was going to feel like a very natural flow aesthetically um i think the idea is to you know i wanted a sense of naturalism to the to the film uh possibly more so than some of my previous films uh less kind of um sort of presentational and more um observed really um uh but I thought that if I set up the beginning of the film as a, with a kind of rhythm and with a kind of uh, a choreographed, so it's not quite dance, but it's somewhere between dance and natural movement of characters in space, and especially that first scene, uh, then that would get the audience into a kind of feeling of of, of musicality, of, 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 of bodies and space and choreography um uh th then the, the then the, the 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 singing might just come out of that um organically and i think it's also really important that all this all the singing was recorded live on set on camera um uh so that there's no sense of them talking dialogue uh and then suddenly they're into lip syncing um that it's a very kind of you know she just takes a breath and starts singing um uh, and it's a very intimate style of recording and, and an intimate style of singing as well. It's not, again, it's not a kind of declamatory style of singing. It's, it's very um, personal and, and, and intimate. There's also real, real intimate style in the way that it brings us into the internalization of, of her character. And then you utilize that with all three of the main characters throughout the film as well. And but particularly that very first one where when we see someone dancing outside of the carriage, it's because that's what she's imagining in her mind. And so was it important to you that the music constantly be a way to bring us inside the minds of the characters in a different way than spoken dialogue can? Yeah, absolutely. And the original Rostand uh, play has these very long kind of monologues, you know, uh, which are, are great, but um, uh, might have felt kind of alienating, especially for a cinematic audience, whereas the songs were able to play the same role, uh, but in a way that works uh, on film. Uh, songs are there to reveal to us the inner um, uh, workings of the characters' uh, emotions and, and minds. And then I wanted to talk about when we first meet Cyrano, Peter Dinklage's character on screen, because I thought it was such an interesting choice that we hear about him and we hear everybody whisper his name and we have this sense of who he might be before he even appears on screen. Did you always know that your intention was going to be that, that we don't see him until we've already got a little bit of an idea of his character? Very much so. Um, it was this idea to to build him up and build him up and build him up and then and then finally reveal him. Um, I really love you know I, I love I, I love it both ways. I I, I always think about um, Gary Oldman's uh, movie Nil by Mouth, um, which starts with a close up of Ray Winston ordering some drinks at the bar, 
um, and bang, you're straight into his character and into the story. Cuts from black and, and there you are in close up on Ray. Um, uh, that works, I think, really well. But also, I really like um, kind of holding back, holding back. And we did it, I guess, on, on, on Darkest Hour as well, where you're holding back the reveal of Churchill um, uh, and, and you get lots of people talking about him, lots of, you know, senses of, 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 of others' perception of him until we meet him in person. And, and, and the same was true with, with Cyrano. I mean, that was something that Rostand did, you know. Um, and I think it's interesting as well that you, you hear his voice before you see him, um, which speaks immediately to the thematic content of the movie. And then shortly after we meet him, there's that really wonderful scene where he ends up kind of goaded into a sword duel on stage. And the rhythm of that is so intricately choreographed because there's a real rhythmic dialogue between him and the other character. And at the same time, the sword fighting is choreographed to the rhythm of the dialogue that they're delivering, even to the point where the moment that the swords make contact at any point, that it's always on the beat and on the rhythm. So what was the process of, of navigating all of those different aspects and bringing that together yeah that was a bitch that one was really really <laughs> that was really tough um uh and possibly one of the most you know um uh difficult uh sequences in the, in the movie um it was a matter of rehearsal basically uh it was a matter of um uh working with uh, our incredible um stunt uh uh, arranger, choreographer, uh, Eunice Earthheart, um, and she and P and I and, and Joshua, um, uh, who is really the unsung hero of that scene, uh, the guy playing Valver, um, young actor and kind of put in this incredibly important position, um, uh, but not taking the, the limelight really. Um, uh, so, so that was that was a matter of extended rehearsal, um, and and also, you know, uh, Valerio Benelli, my editor, and I um, really ploughed into that stuff, um, and 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 it's a lot of credit to Valerio as well that 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 ended up kind of working. Yeah. And then when we have the scene where Cyrano is is accosted and essentially fighting off a group of men that have come after him, um, I thought the framing of that scene was really interesting as well in the way that the camera just remains once he goes over the wall. So there's kind of a very specific choice in what you show us and what you choose not to show us in that moment, um, because there's kind of a comedy to the imagination that you have at that point as well. And then you've got all these great hues of kind of the smoke and, and the fog coming together in the play of low light and shadows. And so similarly, what was what was the journey of of navigating and making a lot of those choices for that particular scene. Um, well, it's, I've got to say, um, uh, it's lovely that you watched it so closely. Um, uh, and, uh, and it's lovely when people pick up on what you're trying to do, you know? Um, uh, yeah. The idea was that we would create that fight in a single shot. Um, uh, and the reason behind that was to, to really nail for the audience the believability of um, Cyrano's capability. Um, uh, we've had his kind of um, linguistic capabilities expressed. Now we're expressing his uh, physical capabilities. Um, so, so 
we wanted to kind of create something that felt entirely real and in there and of the moment. Um, uh, and then it's really through the development of the process. I kind of, I come to a film with theories and ideas, um, but then those ideas become real and concrete um, when I'm on, uh, on the rehearsal floor uh, and we're kind of figuring out, also we're figuring out how it works in as a site-specific thing. So we're working with the space, uh, with the drama, with the choreography, um, and then the idea of him going over the wall. So we've been with him, we've been with him, we've been with him, and then he goes over the wall, and exactly, I'm asking the audience to participate with their imaginations, uh, which is something I try to do quite a lot. I, I, I try not to make the experience too um, passive for an audience. I try to engage them uh, uh, in their with their imaginations and, and then that plays with the, then, them all coming over the wall and then finally we reveal him up there. So there's a kind of um, uh, a game happening between myself and the audience. And then one of the aspects with sound design that I wanted to ask you about was the use of breath. There's the moment where Roxanne and Christian first really clock eyes on each other across the room and sound design wise, everything else just drops out and all we hear is their breath in that single moment. And then there's also a moment where you utilize that for Cyrano later in the film as well, where all of a sudden we hear his kind of mind, you know, the, the gasps of air that he's making breathing. Um, and what was it so specifically and what was behind the, the decision to utilize that within the sound design in those two moments? Um, uh, I've worked with the same dialogue editor now for over 25 years. Um, she's done everything I've ever done. Um, she's called Becky Ponting, and she's possibly the unsung hero of um, uh, a lot of the performances in, in my movies. Um, uh, and Becky and I over the years have developed a kind of technique um, uh, of using breaths to create a level of intimacy um, that is otherwise not achievable. So we spend a lot of time um, working on the breaths, on the placement of the breaths, um, and on the rhythms of the breaths, um, uh, which is kind of, um, and so you can often bring people together uh, using breath, or you can separate them. Um, so if two characters um, are breathing in rhythm, uh, then that creates an intimacy between them. Um, or if one is exhaling while the other's inhaling, it kind of creates a kind of flow between the two. Um, uh, um, likewise, if you have one character who's breathing very fast and the other who's breathing very slow, or that creates a distance between the two. Um, and so we're always looking at what is the breath saying about the character and where they're at at that time. Um, uh, I'm, I'm always interested in rhythm um, and how rhythm tells uh, a story um, uh, and, um, and how rhythm informs the drama in speech, in movement, um but also in also in breathing yeah. it all comes down to the breathing i remember when i was doing uh when i was doing 
uh, Darkest Hour. And uh, on the first day of rehearsals, um, uh, you know, one was quite nervous about embarking on, on you know, the, the, the rehearsal process of, with, with Gary. Uh, and the first thing I asked him was, how does Churchill breathe? Um, you know, here was a man who'd been smoking far too many cigars for far too long and drinking far too much whiskey and champagne and brandy and whatever else. And he was a bit overweight. And, you know, so the first question uh, to get into character was about Churchill's breathing. And, and in a way, without wanting to sound too kind of uh, hippie about it, um, uh, um, our, our breath is the foundation uh of everything else um and so to start with the breathing is a very useful place to to kick off yeah and then jumping into the relationships on screen between these characters there's a real challenge to capturing the romanticism between christian and roxanne that's happening early on in the film because these are two characters that don't ever have a conversation together on screen for quite a long time and yet you still are capturing the romanticism and the intimacy and you know they're also their idealized versions of each other and then there's also the challenge of how do you make two people writing letters to each other feel visually dynamic and engaging for the audience and and not just utilizing the same tactic to do that at each step of the way as well you have to find different ways to keep bringing the audience back into okay they're writing letters to each other they're not having dialogue with each other on screen and so how did you how did you kind of approach that challenge that came with exploring that relationship on screen well i found the theme uh very interesting you know this idea of which I think people do a lot, really, you know, I mean, I think I'm probably guilty of it in the past of uh, projecting what I want someone to be upon them um, and falling in love with that projection rather than actually falling in love with the person themselves. Um, and uh, and that's a very, very dangerous thing to do, uh, will often end in heartbreak. Um, and and so I was interested in that as an idea, you know, exploring that in that relationship. Um, uh, and so it was just informing each moment and each choice of shot and, and each breath um, uh, as one went through the as one went through the process. Um, I mean, in terms of making the letter writing interesting, uh, uh, we were lucky that we could use songs, you know, we could use music um, and, and, and the songs gave us an opportunity to move the story forward um, in an uh, engage, engaging kinetic cinematic way. And with the character of Cyrano, you know, he himself towards the end is saying that he needed to overcome his pride. But as a character, he's also working to overcome his insecurities, which inhibit him as well in a lot of ways. And so throughout the film, how were you constantly thinking about the character development and the way that you wanted to showcase him on screen going through this internal journey, both in terms of approaching his pride, but also the insecurities on the other side and balancing between those two spaces for him? Yeah, it's interesting. There's also a balance between, you know, is he unable to uh, express his love for Roxanne because he feels unworthy and insecure about himself? Or 
um, and Pete and I had a lot of conversations about this, is does he does he not trust that she is deep enough to see beyond uh, his height, right? And that's that's a subtle but but important difference because one is about his lack of belief in himself and the other is about his lack of belief in others. Um, he doesn't trust that other people are going to be able to see beyond uh, his height to love him for who he is. Um, and I and I think we, we, we really kind of went for the latter. Um, but I was always interested in the in what he wasn't showing um, uh, and in his um, uh, in the cracks, in the vulnerabilities, um, and in the um, the alternative choice, if you like, um, uh, to get really theoretical about it, um, Bertolt Brecht talked about the not but, right? Um, uh, not but being not uh, not this but that. To always uh, uh, get the audience to understand that your characters and therefore they in their lives are able to make choices. Um, to be able to, to show that, you have to show the choice they're not making. Um, uh, so not a glass of water, but a glass of red wine. Um, uh, so therefore you have to show them what they're not choosing so that you understand that they made a choice to choose what they are choosing. Um, and so one's always looking at the choices he doesn't make as, as much as the choices he does make. And then lastly, you know, as much as you have these romantic relationships, there's also a really beautifully unexpected relationship that does develop between Cyrano and Christian, you know, to the point where they have a real intimacy and, and the level of trust that they have with one another as well. Um, and so how did you want to to frame and develop that relationship so that it does have that gradual build into a really emotional momentum for the two of them in the film? That was really, really important to me that these two become uh, to quote the Spice Girls, having just quoted Brecht, um, uh, that these two become one. Um, uh, uh, oh yeah. Um, uh, so so I like the idea that actually that actually um, Cyrano and Christian are two sides of the same person, um, and that they're kind of like the ideal man. Uh, when combined and that they've just been kind of pulled apart, you know. Um, and I think there was, you know, I think it was really important to me that not only was Cyrano a kind of uh, himself a modern take on, on, on the classic role, but also that Christian was a kind of modern take on the classic role. Um, and that Christian is not stupid, you know, he has huge emotional intelligence um, and he's been brought up <clears throat> with a very specific um, uh, mandate, you know, um, you shall be a man and you shall fight and you shall be brave and, you know, um, which is a lot of the kind of conditioning that happens for, for men, you know, um, uh, and so uh, and so that he develops and he it's just when he's faced with the, the love of his life, he becomes utterly tongue tied. And again, that was something that I could and I think a lot of people uh, relate to. Um, his first song, Christian's first song, um, uh, when all the soldiers start singing is really an expression of that 
idea that underneath the kind of conditioned surface of a lot of quite you know macho men um uh is a little um delicate um forget me not going help i just want to be loved i just want love you know um uh, and often we look for it in all the wrong places yeah well i don't think it's going to be i remember i I went at reading festival in about 96 or something uh and and the um stone roses were playing uh who were one of my favorite bands at the time and uh and i remember like seeing 20 or 30,000 men you know blokey men standing in a field singing i wanna i wanna i wanna be adored and i just found it really beautiful and heartbreaking you know and 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 so i wanted to get some of that into into that song I think you absolutely captured all of that within the film. You've done a really, really fantastic job. I appreciate the spontaneous Spice Girls reference and thank you so much, Joe. Thank you very much. Lovely to meet you.